Yo, what's the deal, baby? This your boy, Uncle Luke, formerly of the Two Live Crew. You are listening to Pass It Down with Mike Silver and Natalie Silver. Natalie is the most beautiful young lady in this deal right here. Mike doesn't look so good, even though they're dad and daughter. It's the big show, baby. 30 for 30. That 30 is, for 30. That is not something we made up, but we're stealing it because this is our 30th episode and uh, we are going to try our very best to give you 30 minutes of our greatest hits. Well, one thing we will do is we're going to highlight some of the um, the cool moments from the last seven months of the Pass It Down podcast and, uh, you know, get into our star-studded guest list. But, um, you know, I, seven months have kind of flown by. I mean... You know, I'd been talking to my agent, Steve Mandel, for a while about doing a podcast. I told him I only wanted to do it if I had a cool sidekick. And, you know, thanks to COVID-19 and quarantining rules, I realized I had one captive uh, in my house. And that's how Natalie came. I'm delighted to announce that it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Dad, I remember you kind of propositioned it to me and I was like yeah sure I mean I didn't listen to any podcast at the time I was like yeah yeah sure whatever and then you know a couple weeks later two microphones showed up at the house and I was like god damn it because <laughs> <laughs> we're we, doing this but you gotta admit you liked you know, I mean, we came out with a bang we got um we got Steve Kerr who yeah. I grew up with and pretty much since we've been teenagers We've been roasting each other and making fun of everything else around us. And then you and his daughter, Maddie, are friends from Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really made sense to to kind of start out with, yeah. eight, with two episodes. Yeah. We well, well here's, here's the thing. Obviously, you know, you got to ask your basketball questions, you know, appease the people. Can't even talk right now. Um but there was lots of sports dad content, yeah. lots of crazy competitive Kerr family, silver family stories that we really just had to keep. Yeah, that was the funnest part. And um, let's start with a, a look back at Maddie's story about she was a great volleyball player at Cal about uh, a sports dad moment from one of her volleyball games. So in college, when I was playing volleyball, I had a bad shoulder. So I had like a torn labrum in my shoulder that I didn't have surgery on for a while. And so my I played libero in the back row for the most part. So it didn't affect me too much, but my serve was horrible. It was just really weak. I couldn't hit the ball hard, you know, whatever. And I remember <laughs> my dad used to get really annoyed that I didn't serve the ball hard. And one time I didn't <laughs> So I'm on the court in Haas Pavilion, serve the ball. It's like dinky and pathetic. And I hear. <sighs> <laughs> That's like the one thing I can think of. Just the heavy sigh. Never going to stop. So listen, um, you know, throughout the course of this podcast, I've actually learned quite a bit about you, Dad. I've heard some stories, <laughs> some of which I didn't need to hear. But Steve actually told us a great one back, um, I believe it was from episode one, 
and it takes place at Dodger Stadium. What was the year? Uh, 1982. 1982. Please enjoy. Isn't there a funny story about that happened at Dodger Stadium? Um, (laughs) The high school city championship. There was a baseball game. That's all I know. I'll set it up for Steve since he actually played in the game. But basically, we had this incredible run uh, our junior year where the baseball team kept winning a series of last at bat, you know, dramatic wins. And they got to the city championship for the first time, which was at Dodger Stadium. And the whole school came out and we were like, we're a team of destiny. Valley's going to win for sure. Yeah, but this other team, Cleveland High, they got this really good pitcher. We'll kill him. We're a team of destiny. And so that that was the fan mentality that there was no stopping us against Cleveland High. Yeah. So... So what happened next was uh, we we got destroyed by <laughs> a pitcher named Brett Saberhagen, who who three years later was the MVP of the World Series pitcher at <laughs> <laughs> the City Royals, and, and we weren't aware of you know where this guy was heading, but he, he threw a no hitter against us, thirteen nothing. Okay, thirteen nothing. I was the second pitcher, by the way. So I came in in like the second inning. And I mean, I, you know, I got shelled. And I mean, it's just the whole thing's a disaster. And I'm sitting in the dugout. Our whole team is just devastated. <laughs> it's the top of the last inning, we're, we're in our last at bat. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody's on top of the dugout. Like you can <laughs> feel the footsteps. And I hear this chant starting. It's, it starts with one person. It's, his name is Mike. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and the chant, I believe you stole it from the uh, then California Angels. That was I like did. Logan. Yeah. So Mike starts chanting, yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. And I, and I you walk up to the top step of the dugout and Mike, who is probably eight beers in at this point, <laughs> is trying to get the student body on their feet. In a in a game we're losing thirteen nothing and we haven't even gotten a hit yet. <laughs> but we support Mike. Well, I mean, in fairness, we were a team of destiny. <laughs> true, true. So uh, it would have just been that much more dramatic if we scored fourteen runs off of Brett Saberhagen. <laughs> <laughs> to win the game. It, it, it really prepared me for life as a Cal fan and probably started to prepare you, you know, unbeknownst to you, um, you know, for a life as a Cal dad. That because so dark. It's pretty wow. much so dark. That really hurts. So, Steve, Steve, um, I know it was a different era and I don't want this question to sound bad, but I guess it's just my natural curiosity. Um, You come from this family of esteemed educators and your kids are super accomplished and Margot is funny as shit and clearly very smart. And you've addressed the biggest issues of our time in a really intelligent way. So how'd you end up at Arizona? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 
Oh my gosh. I didn't know where that was going. Wow, I didn't know where it was going either. <laughs> well, I think that was the moment where I realized that you were not just going to be like a, a chill, mellow sidekick. You were going to bring uh bring Hey, I have to have my moments because we're, we're t- when we're talking the X's and O's of football, I'm just in La La Land. So yeah, well, don't got to make a name for myself. <laughs> don't tell anyone, but I don't know him that well either. Anyway, uh, so um, by the way, that Dodger Stadium story... Steve and I hadn't talked about it, you know, since high school. And then um, when the Warriors were on the verge of winning their first championship in uh, 40 years, uh, I Steve was kind enough to invite me to Cleveland uh, for what turned out to be the clinching game six. And afterwards, I rode the bus with him to the team bus to uh, the victory party and stayed up all night at the victory party. By the way, if you guys need a visual, it's the pinned post on your Twitter, right? Yes. I was a kid. Yes. I loved a team. Right, right, right. (laughs) So that photo was taken in this little weird kind of, not lobby area, but part of the Ritz-Carlton where they were staying at like six in the morning. And Steve, there were about... 15 of us left and Steve starts telling that story and he told it amazingly. And he says, you know, so now it's 13, nothing. And, you know, we're down to our last at bat and I hear this noise and I pop out of the dugout and this MFR right here is up there chanting. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And I look up and I go, no, we can't. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. Oh, God. Well, yeah. So those were our first two episodes. We split it into two and we came off that still kind of deciding how we wanted to, you know, make our podcast, what we wanted to do with it. And we really liked the theme of having families on or intrafamily conversations. And so when we were trying to book our next guests and figure out how we wanted to do it next. We had a lot of ideas, but while that was going on, something big happened in the world and we decided to have a conversation about it. And we ended up with um, Cam Jordan, star player for the New Orleans Saints, one of the most thoughtful guys I know, and his father, Steve, who I, I have interviewed in the past, who was a star tight end for the Minnesota Vikings and is uh very, very um, intelligent and insightful and had just a, an awesome, wide-ranging conversation with them. And, um, and Cam ended up saying something very, very poignant about how he talks to his four-year-old son, how he and his wife, Nikki, talk to their four-year-old son um, about, uh, you know, being Black in America. So, um, let's, let's take a listen. I mean, I'm sitting here with, you know, my four-year-old and he overhears mom and dad talking about what's happening in this world. Um, talking about, you know, just, uh, when George Floyd, you know, met his demise by the hands of, of some officer that clearly doesn't care not only about his job, but about another person's life. That's something that, uh, you know, you, you're going to talk about vehemently. Like this is something that you're going to talk about with so much fervor that, you know, your kids are going to be like, you know, my son comes in like, dad, mom, like, why are you yelling at each other? I'm like, we're not, we're frustrated. I'm trying, you know, Nikki has to go around the corner because she's, she's passionate about it. You know, she's like, I just don't understand how we're in 20, you know, 2020 and we're still dealing with this same that we've yeah. been growing up with. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here like, all right, Tank, well, look, this is what I can tell you. You know, uh, I can tell you you're a beautiful, handsome, 
intelligent kid that's going to grow up the right way. I know that, you know, things are a little bleak right now, but we're going to be pressing for a brighter place for you to grow up in. And it's going to be, you know, instill the same things that, you know, my parents instilled in me. The fact that, you know, you're a beautiful brown boy, but being, you know, a brown person, you have to be aware of who you are with, where you and where you are at all times. These are things that if you do get pulled over, you know, and I don't even bring in the pulled over part because he's not old enough to drive, but like one day you will go from being this cute, amazing person and you know, you'll be daddy size. And when you're daddy size, <laughs> the world may look at you differently. Yeah. And when that happens, just know that you always have us in your corner. And it's like, I'm just trying to refortify this position that it's okay to be confident in who you are, uh, but always be aware of what, is going on around you. Yeah, I was really, really pleasantly surprised when that clip that we just heard ended up being promoted by the NFL on their social media accounts. Something that the aftermath is. Yeah, my employer. <laughs> yeah, C- consider it, that. That was that's uh, a future episode. Yeah, that was uh, that was episode uh, sixteen. Hashtag that, no promo. Yeah, we talked about the origin of the no promo hashtag. Steve Weish, one of the original members of the aftermath, along with host Rhett Lewis, and then Daniel Jeremiah and I and Natalie had a great right. conversation as the show was getting ready to premiere in September, but we we made Steve Weish tell the no promo story. And also there was an incredible story, you know, coming off the racial injustice thing where Daniel Jeremiah is talking about going to a game in North Dakota at North Dakota State. And he starts going, you know what's great about driving through North Dakota? You can go so fast. Like I, I just cut the GPS time in half. And there's kind of an awkward pause. And Steve Weish goes, uh, yeah, I'm going 55. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so this clip the NFL uh, actually shared, which was so cool. Yeah. And so you would think like, you know, me, football, like I, I would be – I just I, – I didn't want to only do a football podcast. And I didn't even want to do an, a sports podcast only. I, I just – you know, you hear Uncle Luke in the intro. Like yeah. I want to do all of it. But – I. I just it became very clear to us that we had to do something on the most pressing subject other than the, you know, the George Floyd and all that that was going on. But the the thing that was dominating all of our existences, which was the global pandemic that we're all living through. And I kind of had a thought bubble finally and said, oh, um, two of my good friends from college are kind of at the forefront of trying to help cure it. And, and I was like, oh, you mean my tailgate drinking buddies? <laughs> Those guys? <laughs> you, you, you've, t- you've tended to see Dr. Gregory Hoon and Dr. AJ Narula in a less professional context. But, um, you know, Greg is a is a, an infectious disease specialist in Chicago, renowned, and AJ is the vice president of immunology for Eli Lilly. And so um, they were working on remdesivir uh, trials, on, which yeah. yeah turned out to be, you know, the number one treatment drug. Um, they were working on a drug that AJ's company ended up putting out. Can you say the name? Is it 
Bamlanimidab. I can't even say it. Yeah, it's gonna Bamlanimidab. It's so it's, it's got a weird name, but it's um you know some very famous people uh, whose politics we don't love, but have been treated with it. Um, and that drug is at the forefront, and the, the, you know, and Greg was involved with that. Um, so they've been. I'm so so proud of them, but I also, I essentially like the millions of questions that, that I throw at them anyway. Yeah. I just we we just did it on both on episode four and then later on episode twenty six. Which, by the way, they were so patient with us and so great at explaining <laughs> things the entire time. I wish we had video of it, but my dad and I are just looking at each other like, huh? Yeah. We are sports journalists. Yeah. But they were great and uh And funny. And um and one great thing they did in early on in episode four was um, you know, we had a lot of uh angst about the world and the people in charge and and Dr. Fauci seemed like uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci seemed like a very, very, you know, smart man that we should all be listening to. And I was worried that a certain sociopathic commander in chief might fire him or trample all over him. And uh, you'll hear from this clip that kind of reassured us. It's really helpful that you guys are clarifying a lot of this, because for me and my household personally, it can be frustrating and confusing to listen to our alleged uh, leaders. And that being said, I love Fauci. I think he's really smart. I want to know what you guys think. Should we be listening to Fauci? So let me, let me, let me just kind of say that, are you talking about the, the OG ankle breaker from Regis high school in 1958 point guard captain? That's who you're talking about. Tony. He was, he he was the point guard of his high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So he's <laughs> so he's kind of a natural born uh, leader. Yeah. He is. You know, he, I mean, so he's uh, Tony Fauci's a national treasure. I mean, Tony Fauci survived the Reagan years, you know, with, from from where we were with with HIV, HIV AIDS. And so um, those are wow. the voices that we need to be listening to. Absolutely. So yeah. during the Reagan years, I, I, I mean, I, you know, Natalie, you don't remember this, but you know, HIV was very stigmatized and marginalized early on as a, you know, a disease that primarily was affecting the gay population. Ronald Reagan was not super progressive in that area. So, Greg, I can imagine that he had to to try to attack that in that context in the early 80s must have been really daunting. Ronald Reagan never mentioned the word AIDS until 1985. It took him uh, five years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah that was that that was what Tony Fauci was fighting against, and he's he's fighting again. Yeah, I'll, I'll comment on Fauci because he's a, he's a you know he's actually been a longtime hero of mine, and you know he's a immunologist. I've actually been in the same room with him at immunolo- immunology meetings. Um, uh, he's 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 a fantastic guy. I spent a year at NIH myself in an earlier part of my um, career, but. Um, you know, he in in the 1970s, actually, a quick anecdote, um, you know, there's a, a disease uh, called ankovasculitis. It was a fatal disease, 100 percent mortality. Oh. And Fauci came up with the first effective um, treatment for that. Um, uh, I was very lucky many years ago to participate in developing a, a subsequent treatment for that same disease. But he's been a longtime hero of mine and obviously an amazing efforts in the HIV area. So. We should be listening to Dr. Fauci and, and what he has to say. He's, he's a brilliant scientist and a 
a thoughtful man. Okay, boom. There you have it. A clinical opinion that Fauci is a legend. We can now sleep easy. Another legend, this guy, Luke Campbell. I was so excited to talk to him. Um, Luke Campbell of Two Lie Crew. I knew him from stories my dad told me about him getting arrested on stage. I knew him from a personalized recording I actually got from the Super Bowl <laughs> of him singing, fuck, Mar- fuck Martinez, fuck, and fuck he, he Martinez. He told us the incredible free speech story of yeah. that song. So I really, really was excited to talk to him. And also, you know, he's involved in the football world. He's a University of Miami football booster and a hype. A, a no- notorious one. A notorious one, which we get into. But uh I, you know, really wanted to talk about the music and I actually had some lyrical suggestions for him. So I think we're going to listen to that right now. From episode five. Luke, do you think there's another remix that's maybe overdue? I don't know. Like I'm thinking of some other three syllable last names, McConnell, maybe. Or even a first name. Ivanka, maybe. (laughs) Steve Bannon. That'd be a bad sexual act. <laughs> You'd have to get someone named McConnell first of all to sign off, and of course, of course, it would be about that person. Of course, yes, Mitch is a bitch. He said that so well about our hopefully soon to be former Senate Majority Leader, but we'll see what happens in Georgia. Um, I'm not gonna lie; I have one of the coolest Twitter profile pictures. I would say on the platform, it's Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey of The Who and me. Um, But I do not have the coolest. The coolest Twitter profile picture ever is Luke Campbell's. And it's him and Tupac in a very candid moment laughing like the BFFs that they are. Um, Black and white. it's, It's just beautiful. And so... I was really happy when you asked him about Tupac and specifically in relation to something you and I have talked about a lot, mm-hmm. you know, his voice right now in these, in what we were going through as a society would be like, so, so important. So important. And so to hear from someone who really, really knew him, um, you know, about that was, was really, really cool. Let's listen to this from episode six. So Luke, if Tupac was alive, how do you think he'd be reacting to all this shit? He'll be celebrating his birthday because it was yesterday and we'll be yeah. celebrating for like a whole week, maybe a month. <laughs> but I think Tupac would be right at the forefront of it all because when he was here, before he became Tupac, the big celebrity, me and him used to have deep conversations and while he was the celebrity and I know what his my eyes mindset the reason why me and him were able to click so much because both our parents and our family members heavily installed and taught us the uh, the black movement and the black struggles so we we're very, we we can have deep conversations about whether it's the Panthers or H.R. Brown or Huey Newton or whether it was Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, uh, Marcus Garvey. We could, we could sit there and have those conversations because we were both educated somewhat similar uh, in, in those ways. So he would have been 
at the forefront of it all. Every Man. March, he would have been at the front. In and Oakland or California, he would have been definitely at the front, standing on top of a car, <laughs> uh, speaking his mind uh, with knowledge, with knowledge of that this is already this is already happening. It ain't nothing changed because you can walk around with with a nice car and live in a nice house. It still hasn't changed, and so with his knowledge of from his teachings. He would have been a very, he would have been a very dangerous person to deal with right now in this time. Well, um, you know, Natalie, when you were little, I introduced you to a couple of friends of mine who happen to be soccer legends, um, Julie Foudy and Brandy Chastain. And, uh, you know, Brandy, you know, I think she helped give you swag when you were really little just because you knew you knew her and she cared. And she really, you know, was a great mentor to you and role model and is just such a uh, cool person. It's just it's really hard to just to describe, you know, her impact. Totally. But how would you describe her brother, Chad? <laughs> even even harder <laughs> to describe you're gonna you guys you're gonna just have to listen to episodes seven and eight which features brandy and chad chastain we are having a conversation with them that we just had the hardest time stopping we were having so much fun they he, were he was doing his scottish footy announcer scottish footy announcer talking about the crazy trouble you guys have gotten into together you and him dad um and, and brandy was telling funny stories about chad too it's just they it was a really really funny couple episodes but um yeah so at one point we served up brandy a question about some misbehaving athletes in the national women's soccer league currently like with covid and we thought that, you know, she would maybe roast Julie Foudy or one of her former teammates, but she actually got serious on us and we talked about that. So here you guys go. I'm curious, you know, the NWSL, which is the third attempt at a women's league and you guys have, I, I've never understood how we live in this culture of soccer dadness where we all watch our daughters ball out and it's the most important thing in our lives for you know years and then i just still don't understand how there's not a massively popular u.s women's league and i know there are challenges but i'm rooting for it as i root for all of them and right now they're in a bubble in utah and they're trying to play this challenge cup but i some of the members of the Orlando Pride apparently like went to a bar and then there were some COVID ramifications and they had to drop out. Um, so hypothetically, if you were playing Brandy and this was happening, you were playing in a pandemic, who do you think on your team, which teammate would have trouble in this context, social distancing? You mean like who might go to the bars? That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> well, um, you know... <laughs> Um, I mean, I always want the silver is always stirring the pot. I always want to throw Fowdy under the bus as much as I possibly can. So, um, no, um, no, to be honest with you, I, I, when I heard that, I was quite shocked to be honest with you because, and and maybe this just comes from the perspective of, you know, when we didn't have things, right. We didn't have a league and we didn't have an opportunity to be professionals here in the U S and, and then 
to have that opportunity and to be mo- really frivolous with it, I think would not have ever fly. You know, it, that would have just been like, no way that would have ever happened. Um, and I, 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 I don't even want to play fun with it, to be honest with you, Mike, because yeah. it just, it's such a, a rare opportunity, as you said, you know, it, it's, it's shocking that we haven't, really established a league with more teams and especially we don't even have one in California and, and and it's so precious that, you know, to be frivolous in that moment just is, I I can't imagine it. So at this point we're up and running and I feel like we pretty much established that this wasn't going to just be a football podcast and we kept getting killer guests. I'm sorry, but we did. (laughs) I mean, we had Andrew McGraw of Cal Football, um, who was <laughs> yeah. shockingly well behaved. Your, your your former boss, yeah, <laughs> coming coming off COVID, and uh, yeah, like I, I really got a sense of how hard it was going to be to pull off yeah. the twenty twenty Pac twelve season. Back, you know, early on, talking to him in episode nineteen, and by the way, Cal ended up playing four games. Yeah. Um, I mean, who else? We, we had Corbin Reith, who had just come out with Total Fucking Godhead, which was the book on Chris Cornell. And <laughs> the sickest part about that for us was we got um, early access to a manuscript of it. And so we were able to just read it and process. And if anyone is looking for a last minute Christmas present, yeah, there you go. It's killer. I mean, we probably could have had him on for like eight hours if it was up to us. Totally. We, we were so into it. Um, you know, Kyle Rudolph from the Vikings came on and um, we, you know, we talked about social justice and football, but one of the coolest things was when you asked him about Lizzo. I asked him, who's the new man on the Minnesota Vikings? And he actually had conducted a full on investigation. It was like CSI Minneapolis. It he was had great. full suspects. It was um, awesome. How about Jack Bechtus? So Jack Bechtus is an agent uh, friend of mine who had just pulled off a record setting deal for yeah. 49ers star George Kittle. And we heard about him you know, pissing off 49ers general manager John Lynch to the point where, you know, yeah, it, it got, got a little heated. A little awkward. And there, uh, the time you two met in the airport. Yeah, when he had just uh, walked out of the women's restroom at the Ooh. Indianapolis airport. Inadvertently. Um, yeah. We, we had my friend and former teammate, Jade Bush, <laughs> who is a firefighter and was on the front lines of the West Coast fires this past fall. And, uh, she really does have the best mentality for this job because really nothing phases her to the point where she was denying ever being scared on the job. And I was like, Jade, you literally called me last week <laughs> and a tree was inches away from falling on your car and crushing you. And she was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> that was, yeah, like just how she played sports, too. It yeah, exactly. fun watching her grow up. Um, we had the NFL roundtable um, with your younger brothers, one of whom, Robbie predicted uh, that Andy Isabella would be the MVP of the 2020 NFL season. Kind of a bold prediction. And the other one did uh, a Luke Campbell uh, imitation as the outro. Can you imagine Greg Silver imitating someone? Feels like foreshadowing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Uh, We had Jameel Smith of Rolling Stone. That was sick. And that was right before the election. Yeah, he's um, he's so smart and, you know, he's interviewed Kamala. He's interviewed so many of the the important people. We talked to him about his interview with Ice Cube. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, Ice Cube had kind of just been 
um, used, I think, by the Trump campaign based on some conversations they'd had. And uh, Jamil wasn't super thrilled with it, um, but that was unbelievable. You know, we we had Chris Long, who uh, was one of the the guys I've covered in the NFL, who's you know one of the more thoughtful and and uh, funny totally individuals. We also talked about some of the uh, devil's lettuce, so <laughs> yeah. be sure to tune into that one. And what was his line about Trump? Trump is the black light in the in hotel the, room. In the hotel rooms, and that was a you know that was a cool way to frame it that because this is so glaring and horrible that we're now going to have, you know, everything's been exposed and we're going to have this moment of reckoning as a, as a society. So Um, one of the craziest episodes we had, we had Dante Stallworth on and we had a great conversation with him about politics and social justice. And at the end, I kind of had a throwaway question. I was like, dude, you got to tell me about the hot air balloon incident because he ended up getting in a, a hot air balloon crash that left him with burns and some injuries. And uh, he told the craziest story that we had to just turn it into an episode in and of itself. Yeah, that was episode 18, which, by the way, um, Amy Palchuk, who uh, former Texans PR director that that featured her. She's now in the news quite a bit. Yeah. Um, in episode 15, I had asked Dante, we talked a lot of, you know, mostly about politics and, and social justice. And he, I asked him about Bill Belichick writing a letter for Trump, uh, you know, supporting Trump before the 2016 election and Dante played for Bill. And that was a hard one for him to answer, but he answered it honestly. But then interestingly, in the helicopter episode, episode 18, he actually told a story about Bill Belichick that um, painted Bill in a really... Uh, unlikely and positive light uh, in football terms. So why don't we hear that clip from episode 18? This ended up getting a lot of attention because, um, you know, oddly enough, it aligned me with a lot of the Belichick lovers on social media. And we don't usually, uh, we're not usually simpatico, but let's let's check out uh, Dante's story about his final year in the NFL. This story, I I don't know if I've told publicly and it's not, I'm not hiding or anything, but, uh, Bill brought me into the office and I, I couldn't walk. So I knew that, uh, you know, that my season was over. And plus, again, it was the end of November and I had just got there, uh, you know, and I knew they needed the roster spot. So I, I go into Belichick's office and he sits me down and he says, hey, um, he's like, did you talk? Did you talk to um, did, did you know, did you talk to the guys, the, the trainers? And I said, no, I, I haven't. Uh, he was like, well, I mean, he was giving me my my uh, medical assessment, which is pretty funny. But <laughs> he's like, he's like uh, you know, you've, you've got a grade two sprain and, and they're saying you're going to be out at least two weeks. And I'm thinking, I'm, dude, I'm going to be out for at least four weeks. <laughs> but, you know, he's like, so, you know, he's like, we, we, you know, I appreciate everything you've done. You've come in here and, you know, you you just picked up right where you left off. And, you know, he's praising me and I'm like okay so here's the you know here here, here comes the here, here comes the the glove and the iron fist and um or I should say the iron fist and the glove but he's he says to me you know he's like I'm not I'm not gonna uh I'm not gonna release you and I'm not gonna do a medical uh I'm not gonna do a medical settlement with you and I'm thinking okay and he says I'm gonna he's like I'm gonna keep you on the roster so you can collect the rest of the checks so you can get your, uh, you know, credit for this season because I had only played one game, right? And if I did a medical, 
Ah. And I wouldn't have gotten credit. I, I got credit for my 10th year and played one game. So he, but that was because of Belichick. He did that. He specifically did that. Nice. For like, for pension purposes and things like that, I'm assuming, um, you know, and, and all those things. And he kept me on the roster. I got the playoff checks and all that. And he, he was, uh, like, like those things I would never, those things are things you don't hear about Belichick. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is my first time talking about it publicly. It's not like I was hiding it, but it's just like it was just never an opportunity to speak about it. But yeah, that's we cool. And, and by the way, this was the the Letterman jacket game, if I'm not mistaken, when the Texans showed up with the Letterman jackets all yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, after I whooped. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, so so basically, he did you a major solid that oh, he, man. he yeah. came up with. Cool. Yeah, I mean, he he basically got me, you know, an, an extra year. Of uh, you know, of, of of eligibility, so uh, that you know that that obviously, like I said, will help down the line with um, with the pension and all that stuff, and because there was no other reason for him to do that, right? Like he, you know, but but he, which is which is always, you know, again, it's something that I'll I'll always appreciate. He appreciated me, and and you know, he he doesn't speak highly of many people, but <laughs> for him to do that and and even like speak highly of me publicly. Um, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that. That was actually the least exciting part of that episode, but it got a lot of attention. But that hot air balloon story is insane. Um, you had a great idea, which was to do a Blocktober episode in honor of my uh, Twitter practice. Holiday. Yeah. And, um, you know, we ended up just sitting in a room and reading. Oh, actually, two rooms because you were. I was quarantining at the time. You were quarantining, yeah. So uh, in the same house, but different rooms. Um, we just read off a lot of really, really incendiary and attacking tweets. I responded to them. There were so many that not only did we have to do two episodes, but you you probably cut. 60%. Which is so hard for me. You know, I just want to give all of our fans the <laughs> attention that they deserve because each and every one of you means so much to us, but so those you got to do, do, do. So those were episodes 20 and 21. They're kind of evergreen. They're timeless. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we, speaking of things I want to block and hate, um, right before the Cal Stanford game, we actually had uh, my friend Gary Terrell, who is... Um, famous for being the trombonist in the Stanford band who was run over during the play in 1982. I know. That episode's going to be hard for me to listen back to. We were a little cocky, but... Uh, He's such a good dude, though, and... Uh, oh, so sweet. And we also talked about some of the crazy antics the Stanford band has performed in a lot of the rumors surrounding it. I don't know. There's a rumor that they tried to tip over a plane. Factor fiction. We discussed right. that. Spelled the C word on the field. Factor fiction. Yeah. Uh, paid off a ref. Yeah, there's ah. well, no, that was a stage photo. That's anyway. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. There's lots in there. So, uh, yeah, that was really cool. And then the next week, we ended up talking to Ann Killian, who I've heard so much about. I actually met her at a Warriors game once. Um, yeah, yeah, she was one of my running mates. Uh, we we both were young beat writers covering the 49ers during the Joe Montana, Steve Young heyday, and uh, yeah, we uh, we told some great war stories, and she had, she had a great one, which is getting yelled at by our friend Amy Trask, who was then the CEO of the Raiders in a press box for um, 
talking through the anthem. Talking during the national anthem. And Anne's like, this is before the national anthem was a thing. <laughs> she was ahead of her time. Yes. We also talked, uh, that episode also coincided with the season finale of The Undoing. And she had some hot <laughs> takes. So we had a lot of fun there. That was amazing. And one of my favorite episodes, maybe my favorite, was we were able to talk to the Farratt family. <laughs> yeah. My, so Gus Farratt. Uh, played 15 years in the NFL as a quarterback, and what you know, one of the the best dudes I've ever covered. I'm I'm really close with with his wife Annie and their son Gunner, um, who's now all grown up. And this was the day, November 8th. The November, election was called on November 7th. Yeah, yeah. We recorded this on November 8th. We're like sipping Pedialyte. I'm sweating. So were they? Yeah, we're like dying, but we had so much fun. It was a it was a happy hangover because the election had finally been called and. Um, how about the story that we got into of when I was visiting and uh, the Farratt's other son, Gabe, who was trying to uh, make the weight limit so that he... In, so he wouldn't have to play O-line. Wouldn't basically. have to play O-line and D-line and Pop Warner. And the story of Gabe starving while the rest <laughs> of us feasted um, was so pretty good. amazing. And it was, a, it was a really poetic ending. Not even ending, just a poetic... Uh, uh, I don't know, moment in our Trump bashing, never ending saga. So you guys have noticed that family is a recurring theme for us, much like talking about Cal and bad technology are themes. Those are big themes for us. For Pass It Down. But um, family kind of escalated when uh, we were recording episodes 11 and 12 with legendary coach Barry Switzer, who is a nut. Yeah. And the technology wasn't good. We had to speakerphone a couple things, but uh, we brought in a guy near and dear to his heart, which is... Steven Silver, my grandfather, yeah. Mike Silver's dad. And the best part of this episode is that we got two old guys on Zencaster. Well, kind of, kind of, kind of, still a win. We tried using, uh, we tried using a, an iPhone app that we'll get to when we run the clip after this, because it hasn't, that hasn't worked out so well for us either. But, um, this is, um, Steve Silver, my, my dad, your grandpa, and the great Barry Switzer recounting a dinner that the th- Three of us and Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and uh, his son Stephen, the team's uh, vice president, uh, the five of us had in San Antonio during a Cowboys training camp. Um, and to paraphrase my grandpa, why do you have to always talk about alcohol, Michael? <laughs> There's always alcohol in your stories. It got a little sloppy and it got a little emotional. Let's uh, let's check out this clip from episode 12. Dad, do you remember this dinner? Like, I remember Barry got kind of agitated. I, I, remember, I remember very well. I remember Barry screaming at Jerry Jones <laughs> and, and calling him using a lot of profanity. And then he ended it all with saying, God damn it, Jerry, I love you. <laughs> and, and, that's, and I think cried. I think like got so emotionally like cried and told Jerry how much he loved him. Yeah, we did. We got. When you have a great relationship, you talk like that to each other. You yeah. Don't hide you don't have to hide your emotions. I mean, you speak I, I got to be honest because I'm not sure what happened after that because Dad, I, I don't know. I think I fell asleep at the table. You were sleeping. You were sleeping through most of the time. In Oklahoma, they call that passing ass out. <laughs> you had too much 
much to drink. But the most stellar family moment of all involves, wait for it, your mom. So listen, let me paint a picture for you guys. Um, I'm on I-80. I'm in a Toyota Camry. I'm in the passenger seat of a moving vehicle while Leslie Silver is driving, you know, giving me the, you know, I just think it would be so great if you started waking up earlier or if you, I, I'm signing you up for a spin class. It starts in five minutes. My mom has a little bit of Kris Jenner in her. And I say that in a loving way. Wow. Okay. She's a psychologist and I'm, she is relentless. And more important, she's because, um, your brothers are such huge Packer fans. When Aaron Rodgers was drafted, they were little. Cal, there's she's become a psycho Packer fan. And on draft night, because, totally, because I was home because of the pandemic. Uh, when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers' potential successor, Jordan Love, in the first round, instead of getting him some help like a star wide receiver potentially, um, she was really mad. So when Packers coach Matt Lafleur was kind enough to join us. Uh, and you were in the car again. Yeah, I was in the car. Um, we called in. She so she ended up getting in on the Matt Lafleur conversation, which was one of our best conversations we've ever had, with one caveat. Yeah, it sounded like we were in a 1950s newsroom. Newsroom, but but listen, we, I also we recorded this on the Anchor app, yeah. and for some reason with the iPhones, it just. It didn't. But listen, I, you know, it, it wasn't a planned thing. I told my mom, we're in the car, we're laughing. And I was like, okay, if I pull you in, you better have something to say because I know that, I know that you're going to be savage. I know that you're going to be funny because also listen to this. She grew up on a farm with four brothers. She's always had to hold her own and she uh, has a little badass. Any, I don't want to hear any rationalizations. This is, She's- the, <laughs> we're going to hear two clips back to back. Here's. Here's uh, Leslie's first um, grill master. Yeah, here we go. Okay, wait. My mom has has something to say. It, it, it sounds like Natalie's typing the response. <laughs> by the way, but she's this actually- is so brutal. Wait, <laughs> Leslie Silver on the phone. Hi, Matt. This is my debut on this podcast, so feel special. That this is the first time I've gotten to, I've been invited to talk. Um, hey, you know, you guys are you guys look great, so you are winning. But I I'm pretty sure. I can say with certainty that you have shared some of my personal moments of frustration, maybe even edging up to rage when um, you could have thought like, dang, man, Aaron could use a little help if we just had one more receiver instead of some guy that's on the bench that we're going to use in a few years. I'm pretty sure I can say with confidence that maybe those you, thoughts or some of those feelings what, cross your mind. I, I don't know. This is but why I don't know you at all. Maybe I'll meet you someday, and maybe we can bond over the fact that we have shared similar feelings <laughs> and thoughts. So she was killing me, and I tried to defuse the situation. And then a few <laughs> a few minutes later, here in episode twenty two, uh, <laughs> the sequel. Okay, so Matt, I was a uh, you. You probably, you, there's no way you know this. There's no way anyone knows this. But I, Natalie Silver, was the one who transcribed your interview where you talked to my dad about how you and Aaron had to figure out the audible thing. And I also transcribed Aaron's interview. And, you know, when I was transcribing it just raw, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. Um, but then someone went on TV and stirred up a little drama and then you know all of a sudden it it turned into a huge thing so 
It's amazing that I'm here right now, right? <laughs> and then I got your mom coming in, grilling me. I mean, I no, both of our That was off the reservation, man. Now, one more thing. You didn't answer my question. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mute her. <laughs> Welcome to our lives. She's a psychologist. God, I love her. I love you, Mom. I really do. Congratulations, everyone. You made it through our 30 for 30, 30 for fucking 70, whatever it was. 34, we went long again. We went long again. Um... Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next time. And let me let me stop you right there, what? Um, sidekick. What? I uh, so in episode twenty nine last week we had Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay talking about the fortieth anniversary of John Lennon's passing and a whole lot of musical awesomeness. And he told at the end a story about bringing me into a scene where the great Stephen Stills was there and may not have been if, loving me if so If I much. recall, he didn't like you. He didn't, but then there was a payoff. And it seems that our otherwise impeccably brilliant sound engineer, Dan Levy, may have left off <gasps> the intended ending. Uh, what? I'm wondering if Dan would find it in his heart to make it up to us and turn the intended ending of episode 29 into the alternate and new ending of episode 30. All right. This is what I think we should do. I think we should replay that clip from Jim. Yep. And then let's play our original ending. Yep. And, and then maybe add one little. Maybe, treat. maybe if you guys can make it through. Good luck. Let's roll. Jim, you're the best. Say hi to my daughter, Natalie. Hi. She's Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> Keep awesome. your dad on the straight and narrow. I know this 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 man let me come to his private rehearsal Super Bowl week for his band and it was Stephen Stills I've told you about this oh, yeah, I know Mike this Mills and uh, Kenny Wade Shepherd and uh, an amazing crew I know I wanted him to get on the Hammond B three organ and but he <laughs> kind of shied away Natalie he said. He didn't want to upstage anyone, so it just <laughs> I don't I don't think Stills would have loved that. I don't think Stills would love was loving me. I made him take a picture with me, but he was you know, he I don't I wasn't feeling the warmth. I think he, even Pete Townsend probably liked me more. <laughs> well, I I here's a tip for you. I don't think Steven would have noticed. <laughs> he would have well, appreciated I'm, another player. You're the best, man. Thank you so much for taking All right, nice to Nice to meet you, Natalie. And Michael, great to talk to you, brother. Aw, what a sweet goodbye. You know, I'd love to get out of here. I really <laughs> would. But the Stephen Stills story. <laughs> I've seen the picture. I Can you just remind me what happened? Sure. Glad you asked. <laughs> um, so the Indianapolis was hosting Super Bowl Forty Seven back in early 2013 and um, actually early 2012, it was Super Bowl 46, excuse me. Um, and so at one of the, one of the earlier nights um, I was at this cool bar in India at a party and Jimmy was there. We had an awesome conversation and um, we talked a lot about football because Peyton Manning had been injured and was, they were getting ready to, cut ties with their legendary quarterback and eventually draft Andrew Luck. And he had just fired his general manager and coach. There was a lot going on. So we had a really cool football conversation that it was actually like 
probably my best journalistic moment of the week. And then at some point I just go, okay, dude, like, I don't even care about that. I want to talk about your band because Jim has this great um, band that he puts together um, of friends of his that have been known to perform. And he was having a big party for the owners on Saturday and lo and behold, the band was going to play and it was, it's John Cougar or John Mellencamp um, and um, Mike Mills of REM, Kenny Wayne Shepard, Stephen Stills. Wait, this is Jim's band. Jim, it's Jim's friends who play. In but a, does he play with them? Um, I don't think Jim did play with them on this occasion. Jim has been known to, I think, Moonlight. Okay. So I just said, hey, man, what's up with your band? And he just goes, you know what? He goes, we're actually doing a rehearsal um, for the first time. <laughs> no. And at this this cool little museum over in downtown Indy. And he's like, it's going to be, I think it was the next night or the night after. And he's like, um, no one's going to be there, but I could get you in. And I was like, okay, yeah. that's um, unbelievable. So what a cool thing. And I brought um, my friend Jeff Darlington, oh, God. which is a very nice <laughs> thing. But it turned out that he served a, a great role. So Jeff and I had, you know, had some beers and, you know, it was super chill. They're play, playing Love the One You're With. They're playing Kenny Wayne Shepherd's Blue on Black. Mike Mills is doing Don't Go Back to Rockville. And, um, you know, it was an incredible scene. And... There were breaks and during the breaks, like I talked to Mike Mills of REM and he's like the coolest guy ever. And, you know, like we had this incredible conversation. He had actually seen my song parody in Yahoo. It turns out of Don't Go Back to I didn't know that. Rockville. I did Don't Go Back to Nashville, I think. And and then he he said that he had actually done one. Uh, Don't Go Back to Knoxville. For Peyton and I'm like, okay, well, you, you win. The, the guy who wrote the original song also did a better song parody than the Yahoo writer. So, um, of course, though, I was obsessed with Stills, you right. know, and um, Stills wasn't in a great mood. It didn't seem like, and he just wasn't. He was the one guy who wasn't like approachable. So at one point, he like. I think went to go to the bathroom between songs. So I just went for it. And I was like, while he was walking to the bathroom, I was like, Hey, Mr. Stills, you know, I just, it's incredible to watch you play. I'm Mike Silver of Yahoo. And, you know, and it just wasn't going well. So what did you do? So he left, he kind of just like, yeah, whatever. And came back and started playing. That point, I said to Jeff Darlington, this is before I had a good phone. I had like a BlackBerry and Jeff was like the cool guy with the iPhone and, and you know, photos, cell phone photos weren't as, you know, yeah. much of a thing. And I just said, okay, dude, here's the deal. <laughs> Steve Stol Stephen Stoltz and I are not going to be friends. He fucking hates me. And, Dar <laughs> and Darlington had seen the conversation. He's like, yeah. He's nodding. He's like, yep, he hates you. And I go, this guy fucking detests me. We're not going to be friends. So the only thing I have left is the photo. If this guy will actually pose with me, it's going to be really quick. So you got to get it in one take. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened. Stills is getting ready to leave. I ask him for the photo. He he doesn't say a word. He just gives a grumpy look at his face and stops for, you know, for a second for the photo. Jeff takes the shot, nails it in one take, <laughs> and off he goes. So, uh, you know, some, you know, Pete Townsend told me to fuck off four times, but Stephen Stills arguably hated me. Yeah, more. but hey, must be nice. I'm not hanging out with rock stars. I'm hanging out with like tech noobs and uh, 
unemployed people. Someday, so. <laughs> someday we'll get Jeff Darlington on our podcast. To, uh, then I'll hang out with a rock star. Yeah, we'll get him to talk about the Stull story. But for now, if you want to hear a great Jeff Darlington podcast episode, what you should do is check out Potty Train Me, P-O-D-D-Y, new word train, new word me. Uh, there's a Jeff Darlington episode that is it's off the rails, mind blowing, and includes like a great melatonin I'm, pitch. At yeah, the end. I'm roasted pretty heavily. Yeah, um, by Jeff. I would recommend that wherever you get your podcasts for us, go check out Potty Train Me, the Jeff Darlington episode, and be sure to keep rating and reviewing our episodes we're just i i had to take a couple shots before this liquid courage i'm so embarrassed to ask you guys please please just rate and review us and first we take shots then we grovel and (laughs) we'll we'll see you next episode bye hello this is the 44th president of the united states barack obama you've been listening to pass it down I want to thank you for all your time spent listening to this wonderful podcast. I know it means a lot to both Mike and Natalie. And I'm here to ask you for one more favor. If at the conclusion of this episode, you could rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your loved ones, I know it would mean a lot to the Pass It Down community. This is only the beginning of a long and prosperous project, and I know it means a lot to both Mike and Natalie for you to be a part of it. As Luke Campbell said, it's the big show, baby. Thank you, and God bless the United States of America.